At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Understanding your immune system and the complex work happening inside you every day will forever change the way you think about your body. This is the epic story of Immune, a journey into the mysterious system that keeps you alive. A new book by Philip Detmer, founder of the popular YouTube channel Kurzgesagt. Filled with illustrations and information you didn't get in science class, Immune is available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. Welcome back, everybody, to our second talk with Chris Brown. And uh, we're going to talk about his book now, Cosmology, and uh, in more specific terms, the, the proposal he has in his book. So, uh, yeah, just welcome, Chris, back. And it's a real pleasure to have you back again. Uh, thank you so much, Aleph. I, I got to say that I'm, I'm really impressed with the way you've, uh, uh, how fast you've went through my book and how you've got a firm understanding of it now. Um, well, most, most people haven't most people haven't given it more than a few minutes thought and you have really really put forth a great effort to grasp these ideas and it's uh yeah i mean i just congratulate you thank you but it's been a huge joy for me it's like uh i've been really inspired to look into all like yeah all the physics again and the theories the the equations and just to check i wanted to check that I understood the argument. So I needed to put in the numbers and really to get this stuff right. And um, it's great to read a book that really inspires you to actually do that. So because I think it can't be that, it can't be that simple. And then I put it in, it's like, well, I, I can't kind of, I'm not at the level that I can feel fully that I can confirm things, but I can at least see that, yeah, this, this adds up. So, um, so I had a great time with this book. Last time I rambled a lot. Uh, last time we talked, <laughs> I, I and you know I, I forgot about the audio listeners and I use use my hands. That's uh, it, mm. it's it's hard not to. It's this is a difficult thing to visualize. So like, it's really helpful to have visual aids. But if you can accomplish it with just audio, then you're doing you're doing you know the Lord's mm. work. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, sometimes just the audio is is really um. You kind of you can focus your mind a little bit more when you just kind of 
yeah, get into into the thoughts properly. Much of this is really kind of a conceptual challenge, I would say, in the book. Absolutely. To just Absolutely. kind of, it is this feeling like, okay, you got to step back now and you got to try to to build conceptually something in your mind of an, of a different type of cosmology. Uh, I've been like some of the highlights just since last time, yeah, just about a week ago. I was um, just making the calculations on, um, yeah, like the Schwarzschild radius for me, and also trying to look at this uh, the microwave background radiation. Just it helps when you get down to the numbers to to understand what it's about. That's uh, that's another thing I discovered again. Like you can read ten pages of physics, but like one equation really. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that. that's the core of it. You, you can write a hundred pages, but you still can't capture. <laughs> the and there's yeah. there, the funny thing is there's several different ways of telling the story, but mm. it's you know it, in in a mathematical sense, like I don't want to call it elegant, but it's really simple, you know. And mm. yeah, but it's uh, I like uh, the different kind of the those elements that that go into the equations are uh, are the standard cosmology kind of parts with mass and density and radius and velocity and light speed so um and just to give like i'll just give a brief overview for anyone that doesn't quite like under like you know anyone that this is their first time being exposed Mm -hmm. um my view is that the the universe is not expanding and the reason i think that is that i can account for the cosmological redshift using gravitational redshift now it's a really simple way to do this all you have to do is assign a uniform gravitational acceleration to basically all large scale volumes of space so in other words you know you can take a 10 megaparsec a volume of space with a with a radius of 10 megaparsecs just you know that would include maybe a, a few galaxies you know it's just just imagine a volume like a sphere in the universe with a few galaxies in it um that the gravitational acceleration for that sphere would be the same as for uh, a sphere that has a thousand megaparsec radius. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and and all you have to like that is what you're doing. There's is you are distributing mass in a a, a way that's a, a little bit different than the way it's visualized. Uh, in modern cosmology. Mm-hmm. So in modern cosmology, they think that th- the universe has an average density and that this is, you know, just one number for the universe or yeah. for the, at least the visible universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it's, I, 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 you could, you could also call it the critical density and the critical density would also depend on, you know, the rate of expansion and lots of other things. But, you know, if you get, you get into the, like, something like two times 10 to the negative 26 kilograms per cubic meter or something. I don't know. What is that? Like an electron per cubic meter or maybe a proton. I don't, something really small amount for the entire observable universe. That's what Lambda cosmology or modern cosmology would, would say the average density of the universe is. And on a large, on a smaller scale, say, you know, just a few me- few megaparsecs or a few hundred megaparsecs or even, you know, a, a couple thousand megaparsecs. 
on that the smaller scale, it's going to be a different density. Do, is that something that that you would agree with? Yeah, I mean that's uh, <clears throat> one of those thoughts I um I warmed up to, especially this uh, cosmology constant thinking that as you take a larger part of space, then the density goes down. I think that was kind of a stroke of genius almost that this is how you solve the problems of a collapsing universe because of gravity. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. just, the bigger, bigger, bigger radius, the, the density goes down, down, down towards nothing. Right. Kind of, I mean, if you're talking about, if you want to say a trillion, trillion times it to the trillion, trillion uh, uh, megaparsecs, you know, just some absurd number. Hmm. If you just, uh, then the density would be extremely low. And so the yeah. collapse time, like if you use density in the equations for collapse time, the collapse time for that large scale universe would be, would be, you know, nearly infinite. Yeah. But there's a, there's a beauty to it. So I think I had the two big light bulb moments. So one was this, when you talk about, or uh, a little bit on the side before that was, I tried to explain to a person this week that there's something like if you, um, Let's, let's say you start at the sun or like the solar system and then you want to have the gravity of the solar system but then you go like twice or three times away from the solar system then you have to take the mass of this have to kind of envision a large ball that goes around the whole of the solar system and that all the mass in that and you know the density that totality of that yeah, giant sphere will create a gravity field that is affecting you. Exactly. Is, is that right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> a part of this talk will be like, I just have to check with you. And then because I said to this person, you have to think then that one little atom that is kind of twice distance behind the sun is still having an effect on you because it is still in this uh, kind of <laughs> hypothetical, let's say three times radius of the solar system, that this giant ball. In the same way that a molecule on the, different side of the of the earth is also affecting us here <laughs> even if it's on the other side of the center of the earth and so, uh, is this good for, is this <laughs> for me for me the best way to do it is just to simplify everything so mm -hmm. you can take instead of saying you're doing an observation from earth you're doing an observation in a place that is real in let's just imagine a new universe there's only one star mm -hmm. and then there's and then there's you and you're tool that you'll measure the redshift with mm -hmm. and you are at whatever distance from that star the star is surrounded by gas and other dust and things like that let's say too like the mm -hmm. universe just has gas dust that star and you and so you measure the redshift coming from that you have to include the distance because you have to include the amount of dust that is impacting the gravity of that star. Exactly. But that also, the distance, on, sorry, that, that also the distance on the other side of the star as, as the same distance as you would also be a part of the total gravity field. Yes, right? because you have to, you have to work in a, a you know, a, a spherical in order for the Newtonian or, or for general relativity, you have to draw a boundary yeah. and where you draw the boundary will depend on the amount of gravitational redshift. And currently, you know, physicists, cosmologists just draw the boundary at, say, the star, and then they ignore the other sphere. Exactly. I think so, uh, conceptually here, there's something about 
um, thinking, not thinking that the gravity pulls you as as that like your mass and ob- uh, two objects, but it is that the star and then the surrounding kind of air or like the space around with some density is creating a field that is affecting you. Uh, for some people, I think that might be helpful. Because you, yes, I mean, you know, I like I, I'm not going to get in the weeds in that, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I will say that there's a lot to talk about with fields and you know with philosophy, this philosophy of science and using fields and mm-hmm. all, all of that. But you know, it really that's the okay. biggest that's that's the that's the bigger issue that I wouldn't mind discussing is you know like the larger scale universe actually. That's, yeah, exactly. So. Um, I just wanted to go back to those two light bulb moments first, and then it's coming on the list like the the larger scale, like how we conceptualize that part. So, um, but just for the fun of it, like it's it's um, those moments are nice when. So you talked about this the Schwarzschild radius, or just like if you take, if you calculate the, the if you look at just the visible cosmos for a while, what we can see the visible observable universe for us, and you take the total mass of that you, you know, we know more or less the density out to 42,000 megaparsec which is the distance and then you calculate if that mass was a black hole <laughs> what would the event horizon be for that black hole and then that adds up to be <laughs> the, the limits of our observable universe that would be the distance yeah, you can. The, the the way I did it because I am terrible at calculus. I have to admit. I mean, I know my way around calculus, geometry, and trigonometry, but only if I have, uh, a you know, like a, a YouTube video playing with the guy talking and uh, a couple articles open and you know doing it step by step. And like I'm pretty pretty honestly terrible with that sort of thing. But I lo- I, I'm really good with Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, well, so know, Einstein was also kind of bad at math or he uh, struggled, he struggled with math and equations. Like really you need, you need somebody to have talks with while you're doing it too. Like yeah. I would need all that stuff and like a professor helping me. And then I could, I could really, I could really make advances, I think. <laughs> yeah. But there's just so many areas where I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> mm. no, but, it, but it helped just getting kind of spurring so many ideas because then you can think it, it makes first if you in, you accept this uh what this concept that the light is being affected by a gravity field like as it is traveling like that's kind of easy to accept yeah like, the if longer you look it, at it, if as it goes a... uh, if it goes one billion light years and then if it goes five billion light years it's like <laughs> it will be affected by more gravity. It it's kind of makes sense intuitively, I think. But then to think that this black hole, that it goes back both ways in a sense. So because I was starting to think like this, that the visible cosmos for us is the maximum distance light waves can travel in our part of the, the, the total universe. Like it's, it's just like a limitation of the light can't go any further because then it's redshifted out of being visible. <laughs> so you can't, like it's a, it's kind of a natural boundary for, just for for uh, like a distance for the light, but it goes both ways. So, so not that we are living inside of a black hole, but if you put let's say a quasar next to the Earth, then the light out from the quasar will go then to the limits of our visible universe, <laughs> and if you're outside of that boundary, 
then you can't see the quasar anymore because you're too far out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, you know, I think it, it's it may have something to do with just the beauty of of rel of of relativity and and things like black holes. Is that okay? Say you, you do the Schwarzschild. Is what I was saying earlier with the spreadsheet. You can yeah. take a, uh, a, a, a you can list out all of the black holes, all of the possible black holes, or just you know not all of them, but just the range from you know the uh, the smallest to the largest. Mm -hmm. And we live in the largest. Like mm -hmm. it matches up the uni the universe on the observable scale is the largest black hole. Like this is not if you're even talking about the expanding universe. And it's not to say that it's a black hole, but it's when you're talking about stuff like, you know, the visible universe, things like the word object really bothers me anyways. I mean, yeah. because it's really, it's all one thing. It's really, it's phenomenology is the better way to approach cosmology. Yeah. Honestly. I think people like in general, the word object would be connected to matter. So like it's a solid object. That's an object. Like if you take a star and then a shell of like 10 times the radius with space, it's more unusual for people to think of that as an object because it's just like it's a star with space around it. Right. But so, it's easy for them to visualize a galaxy as an object. Yeah, true. So exactly. So if it's, <laughs> if, if, I guess it's like a floating um that's why I like threshold. To, like, when like when when is it enough mass so you can call the not you can call a house an object, but it's not a solid object. <laughs> but exactly, <laughs> yeah, it's all con conceptualized things from human experience. You know, this is just the way we. Uh, I think this is the way we visualize things. I think uh, Whitehead called it. What did he say? Um, the fallacy of giving primacy to presentational immediacy. Okay. Uh, uh huh. It's, uh, you know, this, it's just the way we, we go about naturally. It's how it's practical. It's a practical way of viewing the universe, but yeah. for the cosmological scale, it starts, uh, uh, you can start seeing flaws in it. Yeah. So I really like that about like just connecting to start thinking about the, the, the visible universe, the visible cosmos as a unit that has a density, it has a mass. One of the characteristics of it is like that is as much space as you need to tire out the light so you can't travel. It loses energy and it loses the, it stretches out too much. So that's kind of one way to look at this. And then the other big moment, uh, like light bulb moment was the background radiation. Um, I couldn't follow all of those equations fully yet, <laughs> but but it, at least that you could... Um, see so maybe some of the same here that if you take all of the mass and you have this black body radiation and then uh, yeah the, the kind of radiation that you might get from from something that is the visible cosmos would be this radiation at 2.7 kelvin so uh, you, you know all you have to do the, yeah. the equations are really simple because all you have to do is work backwards from 2.7 kelvin you know 2.7 yeah. then you don't have to worry about doing the uh the uh what is it lambda cubed which makes it you know proper acceleration that's that's the part that makes it really hard uh -huh. and so you know you you can just work backwards and just you know you get a radius of around somewhere around 4200 megaparsecs you know depending mm -hmm. on what you're what you use for for your density mm 
And, and so like, you know, it's just to me, I'm like, wow, I don't know how, how relevant that is or how accurate that is, but it's just too good for me. Yeah. I mean, both of those things could be, uh, still could be like that you're kind of going in a circle <laughs> that, you, that you're kind of calculating something you knew from before, but, but it's a little bit striking that, that both of them, that you could borrow things from other parts of cosmology and astrophysics. And then with that simplicity, it kind of adds up. At least it has to be something to be looked further into, I would say. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a persuasive. Both of those two things are, are really persuasive. So, um, yeah, so I love those two things. And then um, yeah, we've been through Redshift. Uh, the dark matter could be some of the same. Uh, if I understood this correctly, that... It depends on how, how you look at, well, again, like the object of a galaxy then, <laughs> to use the object word in that sense. So if you include the density and more of it, you it will add up. Is that the right understanding yeah. of the argument? Okay. So the density of a galaxy is going to be very similar to the density next to a galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if even because all you have to do is go out a little bit further than the stuff right next to it. Yeah. There's going to be an area where there's no, there's hardly any mass. There's definitely no visible, there's no stars, but there's still going to be dust and stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be more, much larger, much more mass there than the average density of the visible universe. Mm-hmm. So an astrophysicist or a cosmologist, when they're, st- they look at a galaxy, they say that it's has X amount of mass. Mm-hmm they then calculate how, but according to that mass and that mass distribution, how fast it'll be rotating. What they observe is that galaxies are rotating faster than what the amount of mass in the galaxy. I I found just for fun. I read through a chapter in undergraduate physics books here and it was, they said you had two ways of of, uh, calculating the, the rotation. Sorry, the mass. One is to look at the light and then you just assume that one one unit of, of light equals one mass of the sun, like one one sun unit of light is one mass of the sun in general. Uh, but then if you look at the rotation, you get a number that is five to thirty times larger. So that's kind of the magnitude of the, of what they're missing. <laughs> so those two methods. So you can do this with Kepler's. Now I I've only done back of the envelope calculations, but. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is they assume that next to the galaxy is something like the density of the, the average density of the universe, something, you know, really small. Like I said, that, that two times 10 to the negative 26 kilograms per cubic meter, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's much higher than that. It's more on the scale of the galaxy. It may be like half of what the galaxy is or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like there's, uh, because there's, other galaxies directly beside it. I mean, you're talking, you have a galaxy, then you have the space of about, you know, the radius, the diameter of a gal- another galaxy away, you'll have another galaxy. Hmm. And so, you know, that's, that right there just shows you that the, yeah. the, the density isn't near zero. It's much closer to the, what the galaxy is. So if you do that, you get a much higher uh rotational velocity hmm. in in your expect 
expectations. Now, I don't whether it would be what what you what did you say ten to thirty times higher? Uh, five to thirty, but I mean, but but uh, estimating the mass from just the light is a very sketchy method. <laughs> so. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it's assumed that every every unit of light from a galaxy is from something that has the same mass as the sun. Like, yeah, they, they just say, they just make up two units: the the light, the, the sunlight unit, and then the sun mass, and then they just apply it. <laughs> it's yeah, <laughs> it's so, a very rough estimate. <laughs> the the thing that's important is not the specific velocity though, or the the amount that's different. The thing that's important is the flat curve. Mm. And you can do that by just increasing the mass surrounding the galaxies. Huh. You can produce a flat curve. It's it's very interesting how so you have some of like some galaxies are just like balls, like elliptic balls with stars everywhere, like a like an egg shape almost some of them. Um but then you have those those who just tend to flatten and then start spinning. And that's where you run into this mass problem. <laughs> yeah. And there's probably uh, some other celestial mechanics going on there, you know, mm. but I'm, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm certain it has to do with gravity and because, yeah. and I'm almost certain, like I would, I would venture to say that it's this problem with boundaries that they're, that they're doing, yeah. you know, the, their use of uh, the, the mainstream use of boundaries. I think that it's because you can't, they're not doing the boundary for you know trillions of stars or hundreds of billions of stars in a galaxy. There's there's just no computer large enough to even you know multi bottom problem, multi body yeah. problems are really complex if you just include just a few bodies. Yeah, and again you see it quickly how, uh, in in a sense how little we know and how both cosmology and astrophysics jump to conclusions <laughs> that that has implications that are kind of hard to. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like for I think was it 50 years ago they, they kind of they got the rotation direction wrong on lots of galaxies because you can't you can't actually <laughs> right. see, you can't see on, them rotate <laughs> because they're so slow I think slow, it but... was I think it's been since the year 2000 that okay. they were wrong about the Milky Way <laughs> okay yeah I remember being in seventh grade physics or science class and the guy, uh, the teacher was just telling us about black holes. Mm -hmm. And, and I asked if there was a black hole in the center of the Milky way. And he said, no, mm. and I was like, there's not a giant black hole in the middle of the Milky way. That's pulling in all the stars. And he's like, no. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, it seems like that they should be. And then, yeah. you know, years later they're like, Oh, there's a massive black hole in the center of the Milky way. Mm. <laughs> I've heard this before. It's like kids often ask about this also because it's like, well, so the earth goes around the sun and then like, also, what does the sun go around? Like, well, it goes around <laughs> the center, <laughs> the black hole in the center. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's just oh, a number. I, there's a fun number. So 110 million years from now, we will be at the opposite side of the Milky Way. That's oh, uh, that's a great uh, that's a great point. That's really awesome. <laughs> so it's a bit yeah, <laughs> a bit too that's long really for us. Cool to think but, about. but yeah, then we will. We'll, and it, I mean, it will uh, change. We get this parallax thing, like uh, the yeah, lots of things will look different from the opposite side of the Milky Way. I mean, so. you almost never look at time as in the rotation of the galaxy. You, mm, you know, yeah, you know, exactly. years are years are the dominant form of of 
of yeah. Tom measuring measuring Tom. So, but uh, it just reminds me that what I also like just reading your book and your proposal is that uh, at least you're really trying to explain things why it is like this because this current much of the current cosmology they don't explain they just make up things that that we don't know what is instead of saying like well we we don't understand the mass and the rotation you get the answer well there is dark matter which causes the rotation but then there's no way of describing what dark matter is so it's it's not it's not it's not satisfying as an explanation so yeah dark matter is the matter you can't see it's dust yeah. <laughs> so that's exactly um, what it is. You know, yeah, I, mean, I mean, planets. You know. <laughs> well, actually, Roger Penrose, I saw him in an interview. It was very interesting because though dark matter, dark energy was brought up, and you could just see his face that he doesn't like this. But he just said he, he, he doesn't like the terms because he said it's not dark. It's, if, if anything, it's invisible or transparent. <laughs> transparent matter was kind of his. But I don't think he, he is supporting these these theories um yeah I, so I, yeah yeah go ahead no, so um so this is what i like reading the book and kind of reading it again now just preparing for, for today just like seeing that at least this is a serious effort to kind of keep looking and trying to find real answers to this um but then that last point of um just getting to this, like, what kind of cosmology overall is this then? Because in in my head now, I have this sense of, well, so this would be an invisible, uh, sorry, an infinite universe, um, which has a like where the density gets uh, smaller and smaller the further out you go, the bigger radius you take, all the way to infinity, and uh, on the side there, like grasping infinity, for me, it's helpful to just think about numbers. You have an infinite <laughs> number of numbers. And maybe that's how you can think about space as well. You know, I, I prefer to look at the, the look at it as uh, an approach to cosmology from a phenomenological standpoint. Yeah. You know, it's like the the idea that the universe is 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 not a noun or it's not a collection of objects, you know, that the universe is a verb. Yeah. And so like every part of it, you know, you're just describing uh, events happening, you know, the, uh, the, in mm. the universe, your experience of those events actually is, is you know, that's kind of a more, yeah. uh, uh, one of the things on the large scale, so it, it, it's helpful to just think about the large scale and how absurd it is to talk about uh, an expanding universe on such a large scale. See, the truth is, that I, I could be wrong about the expanding. It could still be expanding. I could be right about my ideas and mm. they could be right about expansion mm. because like there was somebody wrote in a YouTube comment and, all, and it was the first time I'd actually ever realized it, which was kind of embarrassing to say, but they said, uh, you're not actually, you're not necessarily saying that you're not saying the universe is not expanding. You're saying mm. the universe is not necessarily expanding. There could be part of it. That is like, you're, you're, you know, and he's right. You, depending on how you, uh, uh, choose your, the, the density distribution, then mm -hmm. you could have parts of the universe that are expanding. Now, what scale that would be on? Well, on the scale that they're talking about, it doesn't matter mm. because, a galaxy, if you oh. just imagine as it's rotating through the universe and moving across, uh -huh. it's not it's not going to last forever. It'll 
mm. supernovas, uh, things will, you know, uh, there will be other galaxies strip it. It'll combine. You know, yeah. Now I'm starting to think all sorts of things. And that so, <laughs> and so if you just follow a galaxy as it's expanding away from you, quote unquote, it really, the space is expanding. So it's, you know, expanding yeah. away from, but it, it's not like, so just imagine a static universe with all galaxies moving in all different directions. That's really what's going on. They're all moving in all these different directions and yeah. colliding and exploding I mean, and giving birth. And it, so really to talk about like 13.7 billion years ago, that's absurd because that's our galaxy is only 13 point, or is something like 13.6 billion years old. It's like, mm. wait a minute, what? Yeah. Okay, as soon as the galaxy formed, that's, you know, that was basically I, the beginning of the universe. I, I like, so this was um, an afterword in the, in the, in Einstein's book from 1916, that we run into a peculiar problem with this expanding universe, that the total age should be then be something like 10 billion years, was the kind of the early estimate. And he said, that's younger than, than, then the time needed to to create these uh, these superstructures on the largest scale in in the cosmos, and he said there's no way to 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 reconcile this stuff. <laughs> Methuselah, which is a star in our galaxy, it's actually really super close. I think it's like a couple hundred light years away. Yeah. Uh, it's estimated to be 14.3 billion years old, and the universe is huh. estimated to be 13.7 billion years. And old. that's so a close like, one to us. Huh. We have a star that's older than the universe. That just doesn't yeah. make sense, yeah. you know. Well, and that's mean, actually a, a big mystery in cosmology. Like that's an admitted mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's also, I mean, expanding space is not. It's a suggestion, but it's not. It doesn't explain what that means. But well. <laughs> There's also yeah, there's no force behind it. Yeah, but there's also no definition of what space is. <laughs> so, well, you can think of okay again like a jelly blob, and you're just stretching it. But like, yeah, but then in that case, space will have a fabric. Like, is that is that the suggestion that so it's it's like, um, but but uh, back to like the the overall picture here. <laughs> so, um, what I was thinking that so you have an infant universe and density goes down. And then what we see, it's like this little um, flashlight kind of thing. Like we see this little sphere that has a radius of 4,200 megaparsec. Uh, and that's kind of, in a way, what that's what we're given as, as a playground in a sense. That's, that's what we can toil around. We have the Earth, we have the solar system, the galaxy, and then we have this little bubble of light that we can... So if we travel 10 billion light years, light years in some direction, the, whole, the visible universe will change for us. And we have no idea what the totality of the cosmos of the universe is. Would that would that fit with your model here? Yeah, and that makes that 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 makes much more sense to me. Like, okay, if say galaxies are moving away from you, yeah, and you get closer to them, they're going to be they're going to slow down as you get closer. Mm-hmm. That that's odd. However, to say that there's less gravity affecting the light as you get closer, and so the redshift decreases. Mm-hmm. Then that that makes sense. Yeah, I because think so. it's you know. But I and I so and then you get into the speculative part about cosmology and like the creation at large. Like, um, it seems like uh, I still I kind of like this intelligent design kind of thinking that it's so fine tuned that it it doesn't seem random. Like I have no thinking about like. If like, if it is made by something or someone or that, but just like it seems hyper sophisticated, the whole thing is my sense of it. 
And then what you're proposing fits better instead of this kind of this bouncing in and out blob <laughs> that just kind of kind of explodes out of a light point and then out and then goes back and maybe a new rebirth and you have this sequence. Something like this infinite universe with this density thing and then it's just just uh, conceptually it makes sense. It it's is more. I'm not sure if intelligent is sophisticated. It's much more advanced kind of cosmos you're then trying to to envision. Is my sense of this? Yeah, I think that's the uh, the general purpose behind it because there's there's a, a fundamental problem I have with the Big Bang. Like it's the Big Bang. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of 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 people that's come out and they've been trying to, I guess you could say, correct the record about the, the, the P and the, you know, the big bang being a singularity, a, a single point, And then it's more like this thing that happened everywhere. And so like, it just gets worse and worse as they, as it goes along. It's really, it's the reason uh, it sounds weird is because it's, it's not possible. Mm. what they're describing it's it's possible using mathematics but it's not something that we it's <laughs> if you go back if you was to be able to go back 20 billion years the universe would look exactly like it does now and it's yeah. going to look the universe is going to look like this on just about in all universes like that's what's even more interesting i think <laughs> but, yeah but so so, so what do you do? You think it's it's uh, infinite in time? Do you think it has a start? Something that we can grasp. Uh, I think that uh, you have a start. I think that consciousness has starts and stops, but it's really it's irrelevant. Things like time scales are only relevant for human conception. You know, it's for practical day to day use. But uh-huh. you know. Um, it's uh, like when you talk about God <laughs> or yeah. the, or really just consciousness in general, consciousness, it, it should be also considered like the universe, the way I do the universe. We all look at consciousness as a bunch of individual souls, yeah. but you know, like it's, it's better to look at it as a, you know, a perspective of, of, of uh, a phenomenon. <laughs> mm. Mm. I don't, and, and it's like it, so that in itself is this concept and that yeah. is really the most fundamental, like, you know, the, the, the other part, the, the objects are really just, they come, they arise from that phenomenology. Mm. Mm. So uh, I'm a little bit kind of cautious here to, to kind of tip all the way into theology and kind of this <laughs> a spiritual realm and the material realm and kind of the material as, as created <laughs> and, um, I'm getting all the quotes there, like uh, "life is smoke." That's one of the well, Ecclesiastes has this one. <laughs> it, it's all oh, just that's like, a, is just, that a real quote? Yeah, yeah. He says, that's life, great. Life is I've never smoke. heard that. It just it just manifests into a shape, and then it just dissolves again, and that's that is life. So, yeah, that's that's a great way to explain it. Uh, but it's it's more like life is smoke but the word smoke is you're describing your experience that's what you mean your relative experience to the smoke yeah mm. but just uh i just wanted like to 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 get a a sense of 
let's say this the myth before we go into the consciousness part again but like the this more scientific material <laughs> physics nature of the cosmos um if it's I, i'm just thinking so like so roger penrose again his I, I really like his work and and his he has the cyclical universe uh theory for 20 30 years i think um and he talks about like all the matter will go into black holes and then the black holes will crash into each other and then eventually you will just have some giga black holes and they will evaporate and then you only have radiation you only have phonons in the whole of the cosmos and since uh, photons and radiation have no sense of time and space they he says that there's some kind of geometry that will show that then actually you, you kind of <laughs> that will be the tipping point we just everything just it's not even contracting but it is suddenly being just one single point again and then it will tip over into being a new big bang so this is one of his theories See, i love this uh, you know it's it's way better than the current ideas <laughs> yeah I, and you you had a butt so i love I like yeah, yeah and, I, and it was what i like he says that if you look at this cosmic background uh, image the famous image he says you can see remnants of the previous universe in that one given that that is a picture of the early universe uh yeah so my butt is that um like <laughs> if one could construct the universe like would this be a an elegant way of this of of designing or creating a cosmos wouldn't an infinite one be more elegant <laughs> that you can just well, and then yeah. things can just go on there forever like you have solved it you don't need this it's a bit clunky almost to have this kind of death and birth and it's i mean you you what you're doing is you're kind of you're applying a very typical kind of human and animal life cycle to absolutely to the cosmos which might be right but but it's a, yeah no I, I like this uh well see, see why don't you, create the, something more advanced <laughs> yeah he, penrose's idea is you know like it's it's definitely a step closer to being correct but it's like you say it's the entire point of him describing the universe as you know this this expanding and then collapsing thing uh, with life and death is that uh, uh he's he's trying to explain the redshift you know that's the that's yeah. his entire thing but you can just you can use his ideas okay so there's this point where the universe collapses and then there's this point where this the universe expands again okay so if you if you just take the middle part the part between the the collapse and the expansion mm -hmm. and, and then and then just put a chain of those together so in other words, it, it's not, so you decrease the density a little bit or you adjust the parameters so that it doesn't fully collapse. It starts expanding again before it collapses fully. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you do this on a giant, 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 giant scale, much larger than the visible universe. And what do you have? It's, it's just a static universe like because mm. it's what's going on is it depends on the boundary the collapse depends on the boundary that you choose you know mm. you i mean you can choose any boundary because you have the observable universe and then you have outside of that you know like so you can just choose whatever boundary but collapse happens like if you're using general relativity to model what happens to math says it's moving around mm -hmm. or you, uh, then um then 
you can you can say that sections of the universe collapse and uh, expand all the time. There's things go supernova, things explode, things run into other each other, things uh, stars pull in dust and turn into black holes. Black holes strip off all their or they absorb all their surrounding mass and then start evaporating out. So all of these things are true. Yes, it is expanding and collapsing in certain regions. It just depends on what boundary. The boundary that your Penrose is talking about is like the whole universe. Well, that's that's absurd because, mm. <laughs> that mm. because like you're not like like the you don't know what the whole universe is. But you can talk about you know you can uh, a specific region. Sure. And so like he he's just off on scale a little bit. It's um starting to wander a bit here in the thoughts, but like it's it's almost um there's sometimes a kind of a need for the human mind to grasp things and that suddenly imposes uh like constraints on on theories. So it's almost like when you then if you went from having I had to read up on on the static universe, like the steady state universe that was dominant before the Big Bang. Uh, maybe there are lots of good thoughts in there that has just been kind of ridiculed now <laughs> for many decades. But maybe it's it's um, there's something to, to pick out of it. But but that's hard to orient yourself in in a sense. And then you make a model that is much more tangible or kind of grippable. So it's a Big Bang. It's a like this. Uh, pulsating blob of, of like a cell like it's a, but then people want to break out of that again and then you suddenly start talking about multiverses so you have many universes floating around and then you kind of you're breaking the boundaries again so it's kind of this back and forth thing going on yeah and i'm i'm not sure why you need multiverse because really relativity shows us that it's the observation and that 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 really you know it's there's quantum physics has this probabilistic view and you know it's the uh, uh the observation is what causes the mm-hmm. the what is it the wave function collapse something yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it, that's that's i think this huge hint, especially on when you're talking about the quantum scale mm-hmm. and the the scale of the universe, that you can't use this uh, uh, objectified, quantified, mechanical universe. You you just can't uh, use the, the, that same type of language for those scales. You you have to resort to phenomenology. Mm. so so could you just specify a bit what you mean with phenomenology which version of it in a sense so i mean oh that's that's a tricky one you know honestly this is my ideas pretty much in this area all come from from alfred north whitehead Mm -hmm. And, and, and you know and it's 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 kind of a hard thing to even communicate it's the idea it's a a that objects are the wrong approach. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, like with particle physics, yeah, it's great to talk about an atom, but an atom's not a little ball, you know, 
and, and you know, this is definitely undeniable for anyone that knows anything about an atom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the way that it, it's viewed. Well, you, I, guess, you know, it's really, I guess that's what old, old Greeks started with is kind of this uh, minimum unbreakable unit of, <laughs> of mass ball. <laughs> that's, I guess that's where it started. It's much better to look at the whole universe as like a, a wave and, and, you know, each thing is the shape of the wave at that area, whatever it is. That's just the way the wave is, is the, in that, that part. But, you know, like, and, and that wave is like, really, it comes from the way from our observation of it. Like, um, hmm. <sighs> from there you have to get into theology but i i, I really don't i mean but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a complicated topic yeah but it just strikes me as well here that there is something about um it's almost like a, a fundamental approach or, or kind of how you see things that if you if you think the world is beyond us or not like would do you start looking into things expecting our human brains to understand it all <laughs> or are you fine with kind of that the, the model we make would be partly partly beyond us like i i go for the latter i think that's i have i <laughs> my sense is that's more likely to be true as we understand some of it and then we can have some of it that we don't but but not like a concept like dark matter but like it is it is infinite and then and then the whole gravity field creates a stability over the over the totality of the infinite universe because of the density part. And then you avoid this you know, huge collapse of the whole thing, which would be kind of a simplistic error if you kind of create a, a universe. Yeah, and it also shows you that, you know, where the region would collapse. And, you know, it's like the scale of like stars and galaxies. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, it collapses on the small scale, mm-hmm. which might be a part of the of the that's, this design that's, of it. That's Penrose's cyclical galaxy or cyclical universe. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the whole. Like, if you're using, if you just take his model, uh, adjust the scale a little bit, and then just throw, make it an infinite number of times, and arrange it everywhere, then <laughs> that's what's going on. You know, mm. there's just all these collapsing things floating around and and you know i think that this is um i think that this is uh, what, i think it's going to be go ahead well what i really like is that if you can think so we we live and we have our little radius of visibility in our little flashlight part but then we might move like three three flashlights <laughs> away and discover something totally different that also makes sense i, I just have this but this is again now into the belief part but I think it never ends. I think the discovery never, ever ends. We yeah. would always expand and discover new things. That's just, but that is, that is a belief. But, there, but in some sense, every, all science would be based on some kind of uh, intuitions of sorts or just presumptions or beliefs, I think. Yeah, like uh, science is like the study of like causal relationships, <laughs> you know, it's physics especially. Yeah. And and so that it's it's not necessarily fit for 
describing reality. It's, you know, it's a practical way of, of, of talking about this reality, but it's not standard in all realities, you know, in your dream, that's definitely a different reality. That's a mm. different universe. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, you're, 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 you are creating the mass in your dreams, but things certainly have mass, you know, in your dreams. If you're in a car accident, you're going to be thrown around and stuff, you know, but the, the physics of that is going to mimic this, the physics here, but it's not going to be exactly based on whatever, but it's going to follow whatever rules that are assigned to it from the, your subconscious. But it's really not that much different than, mm. than this, this universe. But it, is, it is helpful sometimes to just, like a version or like some of what you said that like that it is a tool just remember sometimes science is a tool mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not a totality of of explanation of of everything and and existence it, it never it, it never was in the past but it's kind of been there for a while maybe but it's, it's still sometimes it's good to step back and just remember it's uh it's a tool that is ex extraordinarily helpful but it has its, its limitations. Absolutely. I mean, the Big Bang Theory really does nothing for anyone as far as philosophy <laughs> goes. It, it's an interrupter. You know, it, it makes you think differently. You're like, wow, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really confusing. It, it, at, at some level, I think it's, if you have in the back of your mind that we're living in this, in this uh, stretched out little blob, or if you think it's an infinite space and we are only kind of fortunate enough like to to be in it and we can see one little sphere of illuminated part of it and there's a norm like an infinite amount beyond it like it for me that makes uh <laughs> life and existence like immensely more interesting as well that's not an argument for any theory but it's just like a, a reflection i'm having now I agree completely. At, at, some at some deep level, it affects how you uh, how you experience existence in itself. Uh, a whitehead, his his one of his goals was to ascribe purpose to reality, not just mm. the universe, but reality. Mm. You know, like the universe is obviously just this environment for reality to take place in. Yeah, and it it, it seems like it's a hint the scale of which the, you know, the universe, the, the visible universe, the scale, the scale we're talking about and what it is, is just a bunch of exploding giant balls of fire. <laughs> I mean, it, that makes it, it's almost absurd to a point where it's like this giant hint about reality, you know? Um, mm. It's like you, uh, there's a lot more than you. It's this thing that should, uh, touch at everyone's ego, you know, there's, there's the mysteries out there are mm. infinite. The mysteries are infinite, certainly. Mm. And, and the, uh, the way to approach it, I think is science is useful for sure, but you have to always keep one foot in, well, I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> but you have to, you have to be grounded and open. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, since I've been doing so much Dante for two years in the Divine Comedy, like um, yeah. the the grounding is the 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 main foot should be in in a, in a spiritual sense. That's that's the medieval thinking. 
And I mean, he loved science. He learned science with the Franciscans and the Dominican orders in Florence. Uh, so they, they had kind of, that's, that was what was around the science. But um, yeah, and that, that's what's the timeless. And that was the, the deeper truths of existence. So that was one way of thinking. But this was like the 1200s, 1300s. Um, but in a sense, constructed as that is the timeless. Which the immaterial is the timeless. And that's what you have to base, <laughs> base your... Um, your thinking and your feeling and kind of your, your your soul, your spirit, you have to base it in that and not the material. So yeah, absolutely. But, but then we're tipping way into theology suddenly, but but it's a it's a practical theology in a sense. Yeah, I think yeah, practical theology is is definitely the way to approach it. I mean, uh, well, theology itself is, you know, that that can mean a million different things, but this. Uh, really, I, <laughs> I, <Yeah>. it's, it's, <laughs> it's the fun, the interesting part of this is like we end up here, like every time, if you talk long enough, that's where the conversation, like that, that's the boundary, that's the transition point, that is the transcendent point where you start, a, you start grappling with questions that just goes, yeah, but what beyond that, and then why is it here, and like what's before it, and what's the beginning, like. And especially the purpose, like this teleology part, then then especially because those questions are just giant in front of you. <laughs> scenarios like like traditional religions or even just wild theories about about this reality, all of those those things are like they're just it's like scenarios within the bigger picture. Mm. Like almost anything you come up with, any story you come up with, it's a potential scenario within the bigger picture. Mm. So you could, this life for you, you could be in a spaceship traveling to another, another star and you're just in some pod sleeping and experiencing life on earth as yeah. you're traveling to this other star. Well, you know, that, that would be the scenario for, for, and that's totally, that's probably happening. There's, you know, similar things but, but, probably happening in this those... universe. And those are, they're, they're very popular, but they don't solve anything. Well, was it a brain in a vat thing as well? Like, yeah, but but if that's true, what about the, that world where your brain is in a vat? Where does that come truth, from? And what's the beginning yeah, the, of that world? Like, you just postponed all the questions. It doesn't solve anything. <laughs> yeah, the truth of it is that the brain in the vat is just a subset scenario. It's just like a sub-scenario of the overall scenario. Yeah, you can mm. have a brain in a vat. You could be a brain in a vat. Mm. But it's it doesn't really say anything about the big picture of reality. I mean, it does it does because it opens the door for, to phenomenology. Mm. But to me, the ultimate thing is that you know, like consciousness exists. And it's this concept. It experiences mm. what it experiences depends on the scenario that it's in. But that is that is what reality is. And that's it's what consciousness. The- that's what's been boxed in by science as just the hard problem. And then you exactly. leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. uh, there, so um, I just wanted to be about an hour now. Um, just uh, in terms of like the, the, a little bit back to the, the more tangible stuff. Uh, so um, it's very tempting to go deeper into the <laughs> theology part, but uh, just as like to, to um, I don't know, like plant some thoughts uh, out there or something like what, where do we go from here? Like, so 
you've been thinking about this, you've written the book. Uh, what's next, kind of, the next decade? Kind of, what, what's, uh, what are the discoveries? Uh, where should we start looking for things? What, what are kind of, um, now for the material part of this and <laughs> the visible cosmos? Uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Like, where to, uh, does this give us some new areas to start looking into for, to find something specific? I think there's going to be more and more talk of, of gravitational coherence on larger scales. And so, mm -hmm. you, you know, you have, you have gravitation, a galaxy, all the stars in the galaxy has, has gravitational coherence. Mm -hmm. And, and then you have a cluster of galaxies. They're going to be tugging on one another also. And so they're going to, they're going to have that gravitational coherence and you're going to have this on all scales. And I think that the, that's going to, this, that's going to be realized at some point. Mm the the whole expanding space paradigm is really confusing for everyone because they think that the the the, the you know the Hubble shift is explained but then they have all these other mysteries that uh you know like dark matter dark energy and inflation itself just the theory of inflation is you know the theory doesn't even make sense mm, yeah <laughs> and so and so they it, it, there's going to be more and more bucking that system, but you know, unfortunately academics have a hold on it and they do not publish anything outside the current paradigm. So yeah. but, maybe but, philosophy is the, 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 maybe this, what we were talking earlier, you know, uh, or just a few minutes ago, the, the, the out, the outlandish stuff at this, mm. I mean, it sounds outlandish at this part, you know, the theology part or, and, and you know, the limits of it. But I think that if, if there was more philosophy of science, I think that that's, that would, that would demonstrate it. Yeah. Uh, that, that would, that would help them develop a more coherent model. I think. Yeah. I absolutely. So back to the two years of studying Dante deeply, it has changed my brain. I really feel it. And it's a more comprehensive way of thinking and looking at things uh, from being, more like uh, focused on just the science logic part i think about the the cosmos and um that was the argument like specifically in his work as well i'm not going to promote Dante here like it's too much but but this is what he's uh, his whole claim is that this is the way you can use your whole brain both of your brain parts the left and the right hemisphere uh to to just have like, enormously more intense and deeper and broader uh, kind of thinking and experience and, and uh, understanding of also science, but also like <laughs> everything about the world and yourself. So um, that has been, that was there earlier. And it, I think it com can come back. And if you look at someone like he, he, his writing, which is very based still in some sense on rationality, um, yeah, you get the sense that there's something that has been lost and that might uh, contribute to lots of new big things. So that's my little hope, at least. <laughs> and it could well, be fun. Technology is certainly going to to keep advancing, and and one of the things is just general understanding of health, and you know what it what it takes to actually have a good functioning brain, and mm. also how to learn things quickly and. Yeah. And so, like, just I would uh, just imagine that intelligence is going to to advance. You know, mm -hmm. uh, 
I don't know if it's exponential, but at a definitely at a growing rate. And the the also computers gives us this this language set. You know, the idea of simulation, um, the matrix, mm-hmm. all of these 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 words that we have to talk about the uh, reality uh, will continue to help us think about. Uh, think about reality and describe it in a more accurate way. And, you know, I think, I, I, I think that we'll see, I think we'll see a resurgence of this existential way of, you know, this, this idea that uh, we are able to create our own reality uh, mm. as, as we gain more control of, of realities, but I'm not so sure that it's going to, lead to some philosophical revolution or anything like that is it, it's just going to continue to evolve the the mainstream perspective the the mainstream i think like group think and something like you, you know science and philosophy both are things that you know you can refer to science as the body of knowledge or the process of searching for the adding to the body of knowledge you know there, there's there's two different concepts for the word science. And so uh, on a group level, science may or may not be able to accurately describe reality because group thinking is not necessarily the, the, the right way, but individuals are certainly going to have uh, a firmer grips on what this reality is, what it means, and you know, just mm-hmm. just an overall understanding of everything. Hmm. I think you laid out some great topics to uh, have future episodes on. <laughs> I would really, I, I think we should we should do another episode one day and go really into the philosophy of this as well. Um, and I'm thinking, just try to get a little hold of, of like the the topics for, for for today now and then also i really like what you said about gravity there I, that that actually just summed it all up for me like that's underlying all of this both the overall cosmology that i kind of have a sense of that's being um, sketched out in some sense in your book and and the main topics with redshift and dark matter and and all of them really uh, and it also ties into it's a bit Einstein in there. Like he's he's also kind of gravity is the big thing. Stephen Hawking was very much there. Like gravity is that which sets it all into motion. <laughs> gravity is the action <laughs> that kind of makes yeah. makes it going. <laughs> uh, and if your book can lead to some deeper understanding of gravity, the nature of gravity, that that would be a really really big thing. <laughs> I mean, for me, for me, gravity is the same thing as as okay well it's gravity is the universe gravity is is time yeah. are you still there yeah, yeah. okay uh, and gravity is space mm-hmm. gravity is mass everything is gravity like that's if you're describing the physical universe it's all gravity now the uh, that's a little more profound than it sounds it sounds kind of silly actually but if you if you just look at gravity as this flow of of mass and that you, the universe is this mass, mm-hmm. you know, that's what the universe is. It's yeah. just a bunch of mass and the flow of mass. And, and so this flow, it flows in, it flows towards the mass. It's like a, an inward. It's interesting flow. if you, if you, if you, uh, if what you're doing now is you 
kind of changing what people usually think that gravity comes from mass. But if you think that the other way, <laughs> that gravity is that which mass comes from instead, that's also a big thought to, to ponder. I mean, yeah, it's really, it's all the same thing. Like mass is gravity or it comes from gravity. Time is gravity or it comes from gravity. Space is gravity or it comes from gravity. It's just this wave dance. Huh. Uh, you know, it's this geometrical wave dance of Cartesian coordinates, you know, and these Cartesian coordinates are really just the human conceptualization of whatever this phenomena is, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I know. I think I'm going to let that be the last word. That was really <laughs> <great>. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to go anywhere beyond that. Um, yeah, that was, that was a fantastic way of kind of the end note for, for this part. So, um, yeah, I hope this, this has given a, a kind of an, an overall impression of, of the cosmology and, and the main parts of the book. Um, yeah, so I think we're just going to wrap it here and just again thank you so much Chris I'm enjoying these talks immensely and I'm learning so much so uh, thanks for your time doing this uh, yeah and thank you too Aleph uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to do this again I would like to say if anybody wants to learn more they can subscribe to my YouTube channel yeah. do the uh, plugs <laughs> my name is Chris Brown uh, uh, the the YouTube channel you could just search the universe is not expanding maybe you might have to type in Chris Brown uh, and, and you should be able to get it to it uh, the, the uh, my websites the universe is not expanding.com uh, the, the book is called astrophysics for people who think physicists are full of shift mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if anybody wants to talk about these things please send me an email like I love these conversations and Aleph you're the perfect person to talk to about this like you have the great thank you a, a great awareness so like I've, uh, I, I definitely want to continue these discussions there's all mm. kinds of things i want to talk to you about yeah yeah i think we should just do it um regularly and then see how it goes uh and i will also just recommend your book and your website to anybody listening now that uh, that's how i started i just i just search on youtube like gravitational redshift and then your video popped up and i, <laughs> I watched it i read read your website and I sent you an email and you responded very quickly and uh, it was super nice. So it's, uh, and if anybody, yeah. if you, if you can't afford the book, like you just email me, like mm-hmm. you, if, you, if you look hard enough, you can find my email. Uh, then you can just send me an email and I'll give it to you. I'll just send you a copy. Like I don't, I don't you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the point is the idea. Like I want to spread the idea. I'm not competent enough to mm-hmm. take this to, to the level that it needs to be taken, I think. And so I, like, I'm going to need help with this. Yeah. And, and as, so far for me it's like i um i will highly recommend the book as uh, as a, like both what is in there but it's, it gives you a starting point to start thinking really and and if you disagree with it i think that's also great then it will be interesting to hear so um uh, yeah so uh just say for this one thanks everybody out there for listening uh hope you enjoyed some of this and had some inspiring thoughts and some new food for thought and um uh, thanks again for to chris and as always uh, thanks so much for listening and see you all again next time the general insurance presents shower ballads by shack out everyone does sound better in the shower and it turns out the general is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years I just wanna keep on
For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with the General. The General Auto Insurance Services, Inc. Insurance Agency, Nashville, Tennessee. Some restrictions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.